Dr. Allen, thank you so much for uh, the invitation today. I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to be able to share with you, and I hope in our time together, it is a blessing for you. I hope it's an encouragement to you, and maybe even by God's grace, a help for you. And may the uh, song we just completed uh, be the resonation of the morning uh, that we see the beauty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and declare with our hearts in the depths of our being how worthy, how worthy, how worthy He is. Take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. The heading is a striking one. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. And I want to take just a few moments with you this morning to consider a prayer for ministry. Lord, grow us in godly wisdom. You know, when I entered seminary um, not long ago, I think it was just a couple of years ago as best I remember, uh, we had to take an assessment test called the CPAT. The CPAT stands for California Psychological Aptitude Test. That seems like a lot of irony in that label right there, does there not? Uh, but but I, I had taken some biblical counseling classes and uh, felt like I had a pretty good handle on this. And uh, uh, But when I got into general psych, it freaked me out, so I dropped out. Uh, so I wasn't sure how exactly this was going to go. And as I began to take the test, uh, I, I began to kind of be weirded out just a little bit because it seemed like every eight or ten questions always started in this way. When you see a person spit on the sidewalk... Does it make you want to inflict harm upon yourself? No. And then you begin to look around the room and you go, is there somebody in here who feels that way? And a few questions later, when you see someone spit on the sidewalk, does it make you angry enough to harm someone else? Ah, really? And, and this question continues to come back. I, I don't know why, but I, I was thinking to myself, seriously, I grew up in Arkansas. That is an annual summer festival event for us. And I'm now living in Texas. That's how you say howdy. I mean, you know what? I don't understand where this is coming from. I think what they were trying to do is they wanted to know who was going to survive Texas for those years. But I remember seated in a large lecture hall there for orientation. They told us to look to our left and to look to our right. And after five years, one of you would be no longer in ministry. And then at the end of 10 years, the second one would have dropped out of ministry, statistically speaking. And I'd never thought about it, never been faced with those statistics. And I, I, I didn't laugh it off, but I kind of laughed at the thought, mostly because at that moment, I couldn't conceive that would ever happen. I mean, why would I be going to school if I were not going to stay in ministry for the long haul? And a few, a few years ago, that memory came back to me when, when those who I had heard about getting out of ministry were more closely aligned to me as friends than just people I had read their names somewhere before. It began to sink in very deeply. I am not impervious. No person is impervious to this. And so my prayer for us today is that in a few moments of feasting on God's Word, you can be encouraged, maybe, maybe even helped in some ways, to set your eyes upon Jesus Christ by the gospel so that your heart fills with Him more and more every day, to walk 
in his wisdom and his power. And maybe by God's grace, so you too can finish stronger than you started. And the labor of your life will far outlast only the days of your living. I want you to see today, it is God who makes one wise when Jesus becomes our all because he and he alone is our only measure and he is our sufficient portion. Let's go to the word. I'm going to begin reading. I'm going to read the entire psalm. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight or but as yesterday when it was past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or by even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Moses addresses the Lord with a confession of the all-encompassing steadfast love and provision that he has been. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And who to know this better than the man who led the Hebrew people out of the place of their dwelling into the wilderness of their wandering? Moses knew that God was their true home. Moses had learned that God was his only home. And so he begins to pray with creation. And in his prayer, he builds this exaltation of God's staggering greatness and of his infiniteness. But his exaltation moves immediately from staggering to sobering. There's almost a, a wash that washes over us as we read, for God is the one who returns man to dust by his own command. And the eternal existence of God here mentioned is to set forth by contrast the, the brevity of human life. I mean, there is a, a contrast that could not be more stark. They are nothing alike when compared, incomparable. Time holds no constraint on God, neither in longevity of being nor in waning of glory. Man, he is but mortal and temporal. 
constrained to return to dust and to succumb to time. Surely this is the point of this psalm, to contrast people against the one who is immortal and immeasurable. And Moses' one resonation is there is no comparison. God is all. Man, barely anything at all. In 1977, the lead guitarist for the rock band Kansas, his name was Kerry Livgren, wrote a song called Dust in the Wind. It was a phrase that he found in a Native American poetry book, and it stuck with him. And he explains why it stuck with him, because it was right on the heels of their greatest hit ever, hitting the top of the uh, charts, Carry On, Wayward Son. And with all of his success, he began to really think about material things and, and what success meant. You see, what he found was what all will find. The world will not please you even when it gives all that it has to offer. But in the writing of the song, he refused to record it for the longest time because it was so different from all of their other music. He thought no one would ever like it. And even when they were looking for one more song for that next album, he was afraid to present it to the rest of the band for fear they wouldn't like it. And then when they did, they had to persuade him to actually use the song. That song became their biggest hit ever recorded. It was the first acoustic song Kansas ever did, and it has been said of that song, it is the most famous acoustic rock song ever recorded. Carrie Livgren became a Christian in 1980, and he says of all of his songwriting in the 70s, I was only expressing my own searching for something. And he adds that if you look at my lyrics, even Dust in the Wind is about the transitory nature of physical lives. And they all fall under the umbrella of the living God. What Moses does for us here is he highlights not only the shortness of life, but its futility because of sin. Man's days are brought to an end by God's wrath. You see, we're not created for death, but, ours is, but death is our due because of sin. And no one faces death without dismay. Because it's beyond our comprehension and our control. If, if pastoral ministries taught me anything, that in ministering to people in times of grief and sorrow, of loss, death is just incomprehensible. That you can, you can never wrap your mind around it. For the length of our days is short. And he says their span is but toil and trouble. All our days pass away. Not simply the existence of our days, but the fullness of them as well. We are almost inconsiderable. So how is it that we as Christians should process such hard words of heavy reality? How do we read these and go, I'm not even sure where to begin? Well, first and foremost, Christians must recognize these words are no longer true of those who are now hidden with God in Christ. J.I. Packer warns of a wrong understanding when he says, we may learn much from it, but we ought not to misapply by taking it to ourselves as the beloved of the Lord. That which was chiefly true of those to whom God had sworn in his wrath that they should not enter into his rest. You see, what is true of our life in Christ removes sin's full effect from our life without Christ. And Christians are destined for God's rest. There is much for us to learn in these words, though, when applied by the gospel, especially for those of us who serve in Jesus' name and gospel 
ministry. I believe Derek Kidner's summary gives us the greatest help. Here's what he says. We should put, or these words, put our world into its context, which is God, and our time span into its huge setting of eternity. This is humbling to human pride, which is the whole point of the verses. But heartening with regard to God's interventions and their timing. You see, friends, Moses' prayer here puts our life into God and humbles our heart before him. His counsel invites us to take this regular daily practice of accounting our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom considering who we are in light of who God is. And the longer we meditate, the farther away he becomes and the more glorious the one he sent to redeem us and reconcile us becomes in spanning the chasm. You see, a heart of godly wisdom is gained as we account for the days of our life. Between the reality of the life's daily struggle, which is given to us in verse 13, uh, there will be plenty of days when you, when you cry out, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Maybe one of the most prayed prayers in the last 12 months. Between that reality and the ultimate reality of God's wrath towards sin, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you, the reality of those who remain in sin and what we've been saved from in Christ? You see, there is a, a tension and a pressure within which God meets us in the gospel in that tension and pressure and shapes us by his eternal wisdom as we look to him in the numbering of our days according to the grace we have in Jesus Christ. And so we ask questions like this in the hard and the heavy days. When little goes right and everyone seems against you, how do you respond? Are you prone to complain and blame or turn to the Lord and guard your tongue and wait? Wait for Him as you seek Him. In the light and the free days, do you rejoice in the Lord or do you barely remember Him because the weight of feeling your need for Him it's just not quite as heavy. In times of chaos and confusion, when, when there seems to be nothing that making, that's making sense, when, when life may be seeming to come apart, do we seek to minister and continue to serve others out of his strength, or do we run and hide to protect ourselves, to wonder if, if we're going to have enough just to survive and get by? Is our heart as hot for Jesus in our private prayer and devotion to stoke our intimacy with him as it is in our study and our answers to win arguments and to make the grades and to be impressive by what we say in front of others? Do we listen in prayer as much as we talk in prayer? Do we recite God's word to him in prayer by faith? Or do we just utter our own words as they seem to fall out? You see, these are the considerations that must be before us in the numbering of our days. Our accounting must include our whole being, our words and our deeds, our actions and our attitudes, our heart adorations, yea, even the inclinations. And in the midst of the weekly rigor and stillness of rest, we must ask, is my heart set on Christ at all times? Consumed with Jesus who is wisdom. Friends, God is the one who makes one wise when Jesus becomes our all. Because He is our only measure. He is our sufficient 
portion. Next month, I'll celebrate 32 years in gospel ministry. I've seen plenty succeed through failure. I've seen far too many fail through success. But I don't know of anyone that planned either one. Ministry will offer you much temptation to think how big and how important you've become. And it will offer plenty of opportunity to crush you by how small or inconsiderable you feel, no matter the size of your context. But I've also learned this. There's never a moment wasted when you consider your life in its true context of God. And it is only a right perspective of God that keeps the human heart where it must be with God, humble before Him. You see, the challenge or the difficulty of our days, especially in ministry, they are not a mistake that are unknown to God. But they are the means by which He is making you into the likeness of the One who is His eternal wisdom, Jesus Christ. And so I want to offer these last verses as four blessings of godly wisdom. Four blessings of godly wisdom that compel us to number our days. You see, we know we are growing in godly wisdom when first the steadfast love of God satisfies us to rejoice all of our days. Moses says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. God reminds us by his love, we are his children. We're not just a tag-along to irritate him. He is genuinely thankful and grateful that we are with him. He did all to bring us there. He satisfies the deepest longings of your heart, not with just the trinkets that he can find laying around, but he satisfies the deepest longings of your heart with his steadfast love. You see, we make the mistake of trying to number our life, trying to bring value and worth to it in all of our labors instead of numbering our days that we might learn the value and the worth and the power and the glory of God's wisdom for us. And when we make this mistake, we elevate ourselves, but we never receive what only He can give, godly wisdom. And the purpose of numbering our days is that only God's love in Jesus will define us in every way. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts in faith. That you being, listen to this, rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. There are some good parameters for you to measure in the numbering. And be found in Christ and be found Him sufficient in all of them. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Number your days, friends, to learn the full satisfaction of God's love. And might I just commend this to you to keep your own life accounting, maybe in a gospel journal. Record the simplest of gospel lessons the Lord teaches you by his love so you can continue to feast on those the remainder of your days. I have found great help in resources like Jim Elliott journals that 
that record how he began to learn to see Christ through all the scriptures. Of course, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, is a classic that so many have learned and gleaned from. Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. These are all all records of the steadfast love of God overflowing in the hearts and lives of His children to bring godly wisdom. Friends, you can know you're growing in godly wisdom when the steadfast love of God satisfies you more and more in the depth of your whole being. The second blessing is we can know we're growing in godly wisdom when the joy of Jesus Christ outlasts the afflictions that are upon us. Look at verse 15. Moses prays, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Friends, if I've learned anything over the last year, it is the anchoring power of God's joy. In this season, I've learned how the joy of the the Lord has become our strength. I've always known that the joy of the Lord was our strength, but but in a a, a new way, I've begun to learn how it is that the joy of the Lord strengthens us for the waves of sorrow and the waves of difficulty and the waves of affliction, they rise and they fall and the, the, the surface becomes so turbulent and just rolls and rolls. But the Lord's joy, it's that current that's running deep underneath and strong and it holds regardless of what's transpiring at the surface joy has a staying power to it knowing that Christ will be more than all of the affliction that we endure you see it doesn't mean you're not affected by affliction but it does mean you won't be overrun and overcome by it And when the joy of the Lord is your strength afflictions don't tear you apart Because while they may last for a time, the morning will come and it will bring joy and it will be found in Christ. You know you're growing in godly wisdom when the joy of the Lord anchors to outlast your affliction. The third blessing we see is that we know we're growing in godly wisdom when God reveals his power through your labor. Verse 16, let, the work, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. You know, a mentor once told me, how far you go in ministry will be determined by what you do with your greatest weakness. How far you go in ministry will be determined by what you do with your greatest weakness. I agree with that. That is true. That's the first half of the completeness of it, though. I also believe how far you go in ministry will also be determined by how well you bridle to control and steer your greatest strength and gift. I used to think this meant how high you rise, how successful you are. Now I understand it's about how long you're going to survive. You say, we, we can use a broken measurement of success that gets us in a lot of trouble. Your weaknesses are not God's mistake in you. And your strengths are not for your pleasure or your gain. They are both God's. And we are to live fully submitted to Him, offering to Him both of them and, 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 and giving thanks for them. Of course, we understand and, 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 and think of Paul's reference to his thorn in the flesh. We're not sure exactly what that thorn was, but a weakness or an insecurity, a vulnerability, maybe even a propensity. 
But those thorns in the flesh must be fully submitted so that they do not tempt us away from God with lies and our strengths and our gifts as well. That the dynamo of our life must be continually surrendered so that they do not tempt us by the false hopes and promises that they will bring. Otherwise, any platform that your strengths build for you will be little more than Haman's gallow to you. Both are for Jesus. They're for his mission. They're for his glory and not our own. You see, at times, God's power will be made evident by the fruit of the Spirit in you. And at other times, his power will be made evident by the fruit of your labors. But in both, in both, he should be glorified because it's his power and his work that's coming through. You know you're growing in godly wisdom when all your labors demonstrate the power of God. The fourth blessing we see is that we know we're growing in godly wisdom when God's favor establishes the work of our hands beyond the days of our lives. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I want you to think about Joseph here. I want you to think about a man who spent 13 years in the injustices that were imposed upon him, in the abuses, the accusations, and it seemed as though God had forgotten Yea, maybe even God had punished him in some way, but he didn't give in to that. Every phrase of resonation of Joseph's life says this, yet the steadfast love and favor of God remained upon him. He was the one man, Genesis chapter 42, that the whole world came to to be saved in the famine. Powerful echo there of the Lord Jesus. You see, friends, God did this, not Joseph. And you know who knew that most? Joseph. Joseph. He knew it was God. He knew that God was the one doing the work. This past September, my father passed away from COVID. He was the hero of my life, of my faith, and of ministry. He served in ministry for almost 65 years of all those years, both in full-time and part-time ministry. And in all of those years, he never I can never be, remember being in a church that ran over about 180 people at the largest time. Many of them were under 100. And the last decade of his life after retirement, he dedicated his life to investing in small rural churches. He would go into churches with eight or 10 people and minister for 14 or 16 or 18 months and walk away. They'd be running 60, 80, 100 people. And he would hand it off to a young pastor who uh, was going to serve bivocationally, often someone who had come up in his ministry years before. And so often we wrongfully believe how small that was, but at his death, thousands have honored him in their words and their wishes, in their remembrance of him, in their gratitude for what he's done. Children are being raised because of the influence that he had in, over their parents and their grandparents. Dollars given to churches and his memory. You see, the highest compliment I could give to him is this. I never heard him say anything from the pulpit that contradicted with the way he lived at home. He was the same man in the recliner as he was in the pulpit. And both, he walked with Jesus. 
You see, there's, there is a work that God does through us as he is working in us. And it's all for his glory. You know you are growing in godly wisdom when God establishes the labor of your hands, yea, even to outlast the days of your life. Now conclude with this. You will likely handle most everything that you prepare for and everything that you see coming at you for ministry. And I commend you, be patient and give as much absolute time for preparation as you possibly can. You will have successes, and yes, even you will have failures. But they won't be your end unless you make them that. Be careful to number your successes and to number your failures in the same way that produce a godly wisdom in your heart. Because only the heart of godly wisdom will prepare you for what is more likely to take you out, that which you never see coming. And at those moments, though remaining in ministry is not the number one aim of life, whether you have learned to number your days in light of the gospel or not, will determine whether it takes you out or whether it makes you out to be more like Jesus. God makes one wise when Jesus becomes our all because He is our only measure and our sufficient portion. Can I pray for you? Father, help us in these moments to desire most of all Not what we can produce, but what you have ordained to produce in us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, to submit our hearts and our lives each and every day, the fullness of our being, to the transforming work and the power of the gospel in us, as you make us ever more like Jesus. I pray that you will guard the men and women in this room, that you will grant to them an anointing upon their life, upon their ministry, upon their families and their homes. And God, you will give them the strength that is only from you to finish stronger than they begin. Because every day has been numbered and Christ has been found to be our only source and hope and all sufficient. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.